Oh, so this is the thanks I get for working overtime. Overtime! You think you know me. from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. It's overtime with William Pattison, Jace Brown, and Max Pennell joining you on a Thursday night. Thank you so much for joining us. 865-546-8200, your number if you want to hop in and call in on today's show. Uh, packed first hour ahead of us. We'll do a little bubble watch in the SEC. Uh, what teams are on the bubble and what do they need to do uh, to continue to put them closer to the tournament? As always, we'll give our best bets at the end of the hour. But we begin with the Vols hog-tying the, Hazer, the Razorbacks last night in Arkansas. The eighth-ranked Tennessee Vols claimed its first road win over Arkansas in over 15 years with an impressive 92-63 triumph Wednesday night at Bud Walden Arena. Uh, Tennessee now improves to 18-6 overall, 8-3 in SEC play, uh, led for over 35 minutes and by as many as 32 points behind a 23-point, 12-rebound double-double by junior four Jonas Adu, who led all players in both categories. To score his 23 points, his third most as a collegian, uh, Adu shot a dazzling 11 of 14 from the floor, good for a new career high in makes. His 12 rebounds also marked his third highest total in a Tennessee uniform, while his six dunks set a career best. Uh, defensively, Tennessee held Arkansas to 37.9%, 22 of 58 shooting, including a 25.8%, 8 of 31 ledger in the second half. The home team went just 1 of 13 in a span of 10-plus minutes late in the second-half frame uh, until hitting their final shot with 16 ticks left. Uh, Tennessee, meanwhile, logged a season-best 56.9% field goal mark to go along with 87% clip at the stripe. It had a 48-22 edge in paint points, a 28-12 tally in points off turnovers, and a 12-5 advantage in second-chance points. Guys, a great bounce-back win for the Vols. Max, we'll begin with you. Your takeaways from the last, last night's win. Yeah, you know, I think it was, like you said, an all-around victory, as close as you can get to wire-to-wire. -to -wire. Um, they, they came out fast, which I think is what we kind of talked about earlier in the week, needing to do on the road. You know, you, you can't dig yourself these holes like they did at A&M and expect to come back. I know Arkansas is in a down year. They're not a very um, competitive team this year, but a, a road game, we, we've seen the statistic. We've talked about it. For, for ranked teams, going on the road in conference play has not been easy, regardless of who the opponent is. So, very impressed. Uh, it was nice to see them get up in the 90s, too, offensively, while also playing good defense. I feel like 
you know, a lot of times when we've put up a lot of points, it's kind of turned into a track meet, and the defense is allowed to behind a little bit, but it was nice to see a more complete effort. And, and kind of like I discussed with Jonas Adu on Monday's show is I feel like with him, when he's on, you can tell pretty quick, and he's very good at getting involved when he is playing well. And, and last night was one of those nights. Now, I wish we get a little more consistency from him there mm-hmm. on a nightly basis. I'd rather take 15 and 8 every night than these up and downs. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Olivier Kamo on that mm-hmm. regard, but to a less of an extreme. But, yeah, great win. Uh, and like I said, doesn't matter who it is. Winning on the road in conference play is difficult, and Tennessee handled business, which is exactly what they needed to do. Yeah, both sides of the ball really actually showed up uh, last night, especially uh, for the defense in the second half. I thought there was a uh, really big swing, only letting up 23 in that second half. I felt like that was uh, big for continuing to roll. Like you said, uh, Adu getting back to what we've seen in spurts this year uh, was fun to see, but would like to see him get back uh, more consistently, kind of like you said, about 15-8. and eight. Uh, That, that feels like where it's going to be the most comfortable for him. Uh, it was really uh, nice to see Ganey get back into a groove as well. He dropped in like 17 or 18 last night, so good to see him back. Uh, Triple J also played really well on the offensive side. I think went 4 of 7 from the floor uh, and and shot really well from mid-range last night as well. So good to see those guys uh, back in play. And Dalton Connect shined on both ends of the floor. Uh, so seeing him kind of have an uptick on the defensive end, really fun to see as well. Yeah, first off, you know, you come off a really – a tough loss on Saturday against AM where you short, shoot the ball really poorly. Um, you had a really impressive night uh, shooting-wise. You shoot uh, 45% from the top of the key. You shoot 80% in the mid-range area, 76% um, right around the cup, and, and 53% in the paint outside of the cylinder, um, all above D1 averages. So a really nice night for the Vols offensively. Um, Dawson and I talked about it yesterday, um, you know, Usually in college basketball, if a team of Tennessee's caliber um, has an off-shooting day uh, on a Saturday, they they typically can bounce back and have a nice outing um, the following game, and that's exactly what Tennessee did last night. Really nice outing for them. Um, And then defensively, um, really caused Arkansas a lot of problems, especially uh, shooting 27% in the mid-range area, 25% in the paint outside the cylinder, uh, 27% in the corner uh, where they finished 3 of 11. Uh, did a really good job of making sure that you held your own defensively, and as a result, you can get out in transition and, and make some plays offensively. Um, uh, Jonas Adu was really impressive last night. I think one of his best games of the season – I'd put last night in Ole Miss's game uh, hand-in-hand. Really impressive performance from him. Um, kind of that second wheel. We know what Ziegler can bring every night uh, defensively and as a distributor offensively. Uh, we know what Dawn Connect brings every night. Um, we were talking, and we've really talked about this this kind of trend all season, is who's going to be that third wheel? Who's going to be that guy that gets involved and makes a play and makes a statement? And that was Jonas Adu last night. You got really good production um, from across the bench uh, as well. Um, so overall, a, a dominant win, a very good win. You needed a bounce back response, and you got one uh, last night. Uh, Don Connect finished with 22 points, his ninth time in the last 10 minute, uh, 10 games, excuse me, amassing 20 plus. He shot seven of 14 from the floor, seven of 10 at the line, adding a career high, tying three blocks and a cone team best two steals. Uh, really impressed with Connect's defensive performance last night. We know what he brings each night offensively. And one thing that I've wanted to see from him is uh, getting down and getting a little bit grittier defensively. 
That's um, kind of the one thing he lacks. Sometimes it's a little bit of the ball handling offensively, but the defense has been uh, the consistent miss for him. And last night, getting those three blocks, really good. Getting those two steals, really good. He was active defensively. Uh, you know how active active he's going to be offensively. You want to see it on the defensive end. You got it from him last night, and I think that really paid dividends um, to this Tennessee defensive attack last night. Uh, Max, your opinion, and were you impressed with the defensive side of the ball for Connect? Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it is active. He was very engaged. You know, It feels like sometimes he takes lapses on the defensive end and kind of locks in when it feels like we need to. Um, but it was nice to see more of a steady performance across 40 minutes from him on the defensive end. And, and one stat I wanted to point out about the game as well, Connect 7-10 great from the free throw line. I think yeah. he'll take 70%. But outside of him, 14-14 of 14 was the rest of the team. That's yeah. something you're not going to shoot 100% every night. But I feel like in some of our losses, we haven't shot as well as we could from the free throw line. Mm-hmm. Guys like Ziegler have shot below their averages, Connect. Um, I feel like that's something that if this team can consistently shoot well from the free throw line, considering how good some of these guys are at getting to the line, that'll carry a long way as well, and certainly did last night. But yes, William, connect defensively, much more engaged. Yeah, much more engaged. Uh, I, I feel like it, all season it's been sort of an uptick for him. It's been slowly growing. I think this is like third or fourth game in a row with multiple blocks as well. So uh, seeing him being able to reject shots with uh, his lengthy arms is nice to see. Uh, I guess in one regard, I would like to see him uh, be sort of an impact uh, where, you know, you don't have stats. Of course, three blocks, two steals is great and all, but, uh, you know, from the defensive point of view for, like, guys like Mayshack, uh, guys that aren't filling up the stat sheets with those defensive, uh, I guess, tallies, you would call them, uh, but are still making the most impact on the defensive end. If we could get more games like that out of him uh, where he's getting the ball away from him uh, on for guys that are against him on offense, I, I feel like he can uh, be sort of a swing piece on the defense. Yeah, in addition to Connect's big night and Adu's big night, uh, junior guard Jordan Ganey produced 17 points, one shy of his season high on a stellar 6-of-8 clip from the field um, and went 2-of-3 from deep and hit all three of his free throws as well. As Max, you talk about that perfect um, perfect three throw percentage um, outside of Connect, as well as tied for the team's lead with two steals as well. A lot of guys getting active defensively. Uh, Fifth-year guard Josiah Jordan-James added 12 points. Uh, shooting four of seven from the floor and a perfect three of three at the line. Uh, and junior guard Zakai Ziegler chipped in nine points and a game-high six assists in the victory. Um, you know, one thing we've talked about with this team is what can you get each night from the supporting cast. It doesn't have to be a Dawn Connect 30-burger. It just needs to be consistency. And Jordan Ganey put, putting up 17, uh, Josiah Jordan-James adding in 12, that's all you need from those guys. And really, Ganey overachieved. Really just need 10 from those guys. Get in double digits, make an impact, uh, make the defense have to respect you um, and, and take some attention away from Don Connect and, and Zakai Ziegler, two guys that um, know how to make a play offensively. And they did just that last night. Uh, how important was this supporting cast, Max? It was very important. And like you said, Connect 22 points when we score in the 90s. I don't think many of us would predict that. I know we did at Kentucky as well, um, but that took a couple other 20-point performances. We mentioned Jonas Adu, how important I think he is. Um, just from opening up the offense, I think it totally helps when he's on offensively. And and Jordan Moore put out a stat today. Tennessee is 13-1 and when Josiah Jordan-James scores 8-plus points. Yeah. 5-5 five and five when he doesn't. And that's pretty telling to me because he's one of those guys that – 
we don't need 15 a night from. You know, we don't need him to be Ziegler or Adu as much. Um, but when that guy can just consistently make the shots that the defense is giving him, I think that totally opens up the offense as well and adds another dimension. Um, so that stat kind of bears that out, what we've been saying earlier in the week. And then, you know, Ganey, like you mentioned, you don't need 17 from him every night, but I feel like his thing is he's, you know, takes a decent amount of volume of shots. Mm. And if you can just find the middle ground where he shoots 35, 40% from the field, that's really all Tennessee needs from him, whether that equates to 10 points or 15. Um, but he's been too up and down, you know, where he'll have a night mm-hmm. kind of like Adu where he'll go one of seven and it's like, why is Ganey taking seven shots? But I mm-hmm. think we can pencil him in for six to seven shots a night. And if he can hit three or four of those, uh, that just another person that opens up the Tennessee offense, mm-hmm. especially coming off the bench. I yeah. feel like that's one thing this team lacks a little bit is bench scoring. They have, you know, guys that can play certain roles. Awaka is good at rebounding, uh, solid defensively, but someone that can light a spark offensively off yeah. the bench, and, and Ganey did that last night. Yeah, we use the word spark plug a lot, uh, and, you know, Jordan Ganey really fit that in last night because, I mean, going into that under-16 break in the first half, I think the Vols were down uh, by about three points or so, and he comes in and immediately gets that lead uh, back into the hands of the Vols, and really from there they never looked back. So uh, him being able to be an instant impact on that offense really does change the dynamic. Uh, and like you said, being having a bench scorer uh, is something that this team has not been used to having over the last few years, uh, and that's, that's something that – has been able to set Tennessee apart uh, from teams uh, in this program from the past, you know, because, I mean, you get guys like Mayshack off the bench uh, who are going to be tenacious on defense every time you go out there no matter what, uh, but isn't really a pure shooter. But you get uh, Ganey out there, and he can really light it up for you. Uh, and for James, yeah, like you said, if, if he can just be more consistent, because, I mean, some nights it's like, oh, he can't miss. Like at Kentucky, at the Kentucky game, it was like, man, this dude is just firing from all cylinders. And then there's nights where he'll put in like two points and go like one for eight from the field. And you're like, where, where, what are we doing here? But, you know, if he can like finally get to where he's shooting at about like a 45% clip, this team can really just take that next step. Uh, Talking Vols and Razorbacks here, 865-546-8200, your number if you want to hop in. Uh, the the word I use to describe Ganey is a spark plug, mm-hmm. um, a guy that can come off the bench and be an instant offense and and situational. We, we we've talked so much this week about situational football and situational basketball, especially come tournament time. Um, if you need a guy to come in and give you a couple three pointers, Ganey's that guy. So I think it's been very important to keep his confidence going uh, because when his time is called. Um, he's got to be able to come in there in a tournament game and, and be able to knock down some threes, get the Vols back into a game. So I think it's very important that he continues to stay consistent. Uh, my prediction of uh, Viscovi having a big game last night uh, flopped, uh, but at least you got it from Josiah and, and, and Ganey, um, and we always know what Ziegler brings. Um, junior guard Tremont Mark of Arkansas finished as a lone razor back with nine-plus points compiling 12 on a 4 of of 10 field goal ledger. Uh, How were the Vols able to dominate defensively, especially in the second half? You know, I think they kind of gave Arkansas a taste of their own medicine that they received from A&M on Saturday, where it it felt like Arkansas is hanging around. Maybe it's a little more lopsided than it should be the way they were playing. They were at home. Um, And then once Tennessee went on that first big run, run it kind of felt like Arkansas was just chasing from there on offensively and I think Tennessee also 28 uh, points off turnovers compared to Arkansas only generating 14 despite the turnover Mm -hmm. margin being one Mm -hmm. so Tennessee also did a really good job of making them pay when they turn the ball over 
And, and I, like I said, I think they just kind of got Arkansas in a position where they started to chase a little bit. They don't have mm-hmm. the players to really do that, the personnel. And Tennessee's too good defensively to try and, you know, chase it all back on one possession. You kind of got to be more methodical, et cetera, kind of like an A&M or some of these other teams Tennessee has lost to. Um, so that was really impressive to me. And I think, you know, you mentioned the, the Vescovi shooting night. I almost feel like, you know, Ganey's role almost becomes more important mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with the way Vescovi's been playing because he's basically a non-factor offensively. And you need someone to fill that void that can shoot the ball from three beyond connect. Um, Ziegler does, but he's more of a facilitator in this offense. You, a catch-and-shoot type guy, and, and the more and more Vescovi takes a bat seat, that, to me, elevates the role that Ganey has in terms of needing to knock down those shots, especially in big games. To me, Ganey kind of reminds me of a what Tennessee wanted Tyreek Key to be last year. Yeah. Whereas a guy coming off the bench, probably getting you know, 18 minutes a game, and uh, you know, just come in and provide a scoring burst. And Tyree Key showed that very rarely. Mm-hmm. And Ganey seems to be a little more consistent version of that. Um, which, like I said, with Vescovi's struggles, is paramount. Yeah. As as for the defense last night, I, I felt like, like you said, William, it really kicked in in that second half. Uh, it felt like the gap defense sort of really started working there. They took away the inside looks like pretty much. Uh, every every time that they went down there, uh, and they forced bad shots on the on the perimeter. I, I, I think at one point uh, in the second half, overall, I think the Razorbacks were like seven of sixteen from three. Were shooting it really well, uh, and then they went one for seven on their last seven three pointers. So uh, forcing bad shots and just getting in passing lanes. We we saw a Dalton Connect steal that led to a dunk of his in the first half, uh, where he just bit on the ball and just took whatever he needed to. Uh, I, I think it's more about being aggressive, uh, and this team out-rebounded Arkansas by 11 last night. Uh, so that, that's been a change uh, of pace from these last couple weeks. I mean, like the A&M game, it was just ugly. LSU out-rebounded us here at home by like 14 or something crazy. So I, I, th- I think being aggressive on the rebounds as well also helped the defensive effort. Yeah, I think you were able to cause a lot of points off turnovers, a 28-12 to 12 differential there. Um, got a couple second-chance points as well, 12-5 to 5 differential. Um, and then, and I think paint points is something to look at as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Vols did a really good job of protecting the paint um, coming into the game. Uh, Arkansas had two guys that have been on a hot streak, averaging uh, 26 points combined, um, and, and they did a really good job defending that. 48 to 22 edge in the paint. Uh, that's what wins games, especially with an Arkansas team that struggles to shoot from the perimeter and focuses a lot around the cup. Um, that's exactly what Tennessee was able to do. Um, kind of the exact opposite of the A&M game, where mm-hmm. they were not able to do that. Um, and, and they were able to control the glass and, and also um, just cause cause issues uh, for that offense uh, in, in Arkansas. And um, really kind of taking a step back here and talking a little bit about this Arkansas team. You know, they got a really good transfer class in this year. Guys like L. Ellis came over from Louisville. Um, a couple of guys out there last night were, were um, supposed to be these big-time recruits for them, um, and they have struggled mightily this year. What, what do you all think is wrong with them? You know, I, I'm glad you brought that up, William, because I did want to touch on Arkansas, and I think, you know, their biggest issue has been you know, Musselman has kind of hit home runs in mm-hmm. the portal. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when you live and die by the portal in the sport of basketball compared to football, where, you know, you're basically saying, all right, you know, let's say we have three guys in-house we're keeping. We're bringing in five or six new guys to the roster. Sometimes they just don't fit. And I think this year, Musselman, you know, maybe 
he saw guys differently, anticipated roles or minutes going differently, but I think it, it kind of boils down to as simple as it is just kind of swinging and missing on guys in the portal and the way they would fit this team. L. Ellis is a good player, but does he fit the mm-hmm. this, what they're trying to run there? He might not have. And and that's kind of the, the risky run, I think, when you're so portal mm-hmm. dependent. You look at a team like Tennessee, they've their floor has been so high because they – you know, keep guys in the mm-hmm. program that the very least you can p- pencil into their role. Like a guy like Meshack, he's a guy that you know someone might view as in the portal to mid-major level team. Okay, this guy's going to come here and take a step. Tennessee's able to keep those guys instead and kind of build a role for them. Mm-hmm. And I just think Arkansas this year just swung and missed on guys in the portal. And I also think part of it is it does seem like they kind of gave up. You know not just in the game last night, but throughout this season. They've mm-hmm. kind of quit on this team. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that has something to do with Musselman or not, but, yeah, certainly uh, not a good year for them. And, and I think to really have some stability with that program, they got to try and develop a little more in-house. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. reminds me a little bit of Memphis this year where they're, they're another program that seems very transfer-dependent, yeah. yeah. and sometimes those the it just doesn't mesh well. Yeah, and, I mean, I'm going off of that point, they only have two freshmen on the roster right now, and they've only got three sophomores. So uh, the young guys that they are bringing in are either bouncing really quick or uh, transferring, uh, bouncing really quick as to the draft or whatever, uh, or transferring out. But, uh, you know, they also had that, uh, I guess, locker room fiasco. I still don't know, like, what all that stuff was about. But I, I feel like I with that, that, you said what? You don't, <laughs> I don't buy, it? buy it. You I don't? don't buy it. I mean, I, I feel like it could be something. I mean, it, it's, it's something that could cause a stir uh, even if it is just a rumor you know you, you get in like a locker room and like something is chirped about and then everybody starts turning their head kind of like looking as like was it you was it you uh kind of just finger pointing and I, I think that kind of rolls over uh I don't think it would fall on Musselman losing control of that locker room whatsoever I think it's just uh maybe if if that is a cause of it I, I think that uh it could roll over into game time as well well, the greatest medicine for dysfunctionality is winning. I right. mean, uh, look, a lot of times uh, the, the Packers remind me of that. When the Packers were winning with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, though it was dysfunctional, the relationship, it kind of got glazed over because they were winning. Now, when you start losing games, the dysfunctionality really shines. Um, you know, regardless of what went on in the locker room, um, a guy leaving a program midseason does indicate that something's not working. Uh, but when you look at this class they got, uh, Chandler Lawson, a, a four-star from Memphis. L. Ellis, a guy I really liked at Louisville, um, despite how bad they were last year. Uh, Jeremiah Davenport from a really good Cincinnati club. You get Tremont Mark, who um, had some really big moments for Houston as a role player. Um, these guys just have not meshed. And as you said, you know, um, in this day and age in college basketball and college football, but more so college basketball where the rosters are a lot smaller, um, it, it, it can be really hit or miss. And when you go all in on the portal, you see a team like Arkansas that doesn't fit well together, um, though they have a lot of stars, like, you know, Khalif Battle, a four-star transfer. Chandler Lawson, a four-star transfer. It sounds good, but when you put all these guys together, does it work? And it hasn't. Um, so I think a combination of losing, um, not really being able to mesh as a team, um, I think there are just a lot of things that go into this poor year. Because um, really – um, Max, you were on there when we had the guy from 24-7. Jackson uh, Collier. Yeah, yeah, Jackson Collier. Um, we talked about this team, really high expectations for him, especially with the portal class they had, um, a, a top seven class in the portal. Um, there, there was a lot of expectations for this team, especially where Musselman had this team last year. Um, and granted, a lot of those guys went on to the NBA, um, but the fact that Musselman was able to take a bunch of freshmen to the tournament, um, all signs indicated, well, 
you bring in a lot of guys with you know a lot of experience, you could probably get back there as well. Not able to do that this year. Um, but going back to Tennessee, uh, some we talked about when we're over the past couple of days when we're talking about controlling your business, controlling your destiny. Um, I said that these upcoming five games, including last night against Arkansas, were very important. Because uh, you face Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Missouri. Uh, those are three bottom-tier SEC teams. You get a rematch with AM at home, and you get a battle with Auburn at home. Uh, Bruce Pearl comes to town, high-energy night. Uh, those five games, I think that Tennessee, if they want to get to that one seed or want to win the conference, you've got to go 5-0 and in that stretch because I think you have an advantage in all of them. They got it done last night. Looking at the remaining four, uh, the confidence level that the Vols can win four more. You know, I think they'll be favored in all four. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. on paper, they should win every game. Now, we all know college basketball doesn't work, doesn't like, work that, like that, especially yeah. this year. Yeah. Um, take, for example, Arkansas beat Duke this year. Can you believe that? Yeah. That team yeah. beat Duke this year? <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, I, I think all four are very winnable. And like you said, William, with the way, you know, outside of really, to me, Purdue and UConn, and maybe Arizona just because of the conference they play in, there's going to be top teams around you losing you know, left and right. Mm-hmm. So if you can just keep winning games, regardless if it's Missouri or Alabama, you know, it's going to keep you in that conversation and, you know, you'll keep rising and rising. So I think the Auburn game would probably worry me the most, but Vanderbilt, Missouri, and A&M, especially, you know, A&M at home, um, I, I would be a little surprised if he didn't win that game by 10-plus points. So I'm really circling that Auburn game as a game that's, you know, probably for the one seed in, in that you know, at that time, yes, who yes. knows how the rest of the season will play out, but should get to that point three and zero in these next three. Yeah, definitely. I mean, three of these next four are at home, anyways. So I mean, that that being uh, on Tennessee's side, uh, you're on the road at Missouri, who's at dead last, uh, has yet to win an SEC game. I was talking to some buddies earlier, but uh, it feels like one of those years where that could be the one game that they do win in <laughs> conference plays against us, but. Uh, Jokes aside, I mean, confidence going into these next two games should be through the roof. I mean, th- this last night was just a confidence-building win, uh, if anything. I mean, you finally go on the road in a what's typically a raucous environment, uh, but really wasn't last night in Bud Walton Arena, and you just – batter the hogs up and down the floor uh it really shouldn't be that hard for these next two again a and is probably one that you want to circle just because you don't want to get beat twice by playing the same way against a team twice so something's going to be changing uh for that game so i'm really excited to see what coach barnes brings out there and of course auburn's going to be just nuts that one's going to be so much fun because auburn's a really stout team this year they went out and beat a really good south carolina team by 40 uh so that one should also be fun but i mean again just being at home three of these four with the two toughest also being at home uh really favors the vols yeah especially like that you're playing at home where the vols have played well all season um look you know it's been the theme over the last couple weeks especially if you want to get a number one seed you've got to control what's in front of you um, and that as that assignment continues over these next couple of games. Obviously, road games like at Alabama, um, at uh, South Carolina, mm. um, and then playing Kentucky again at home, tough to beat Calipari twice in the same year. Those are tougher matchups, but right here what you have in front of you, these next four games I think are very manageable. Um, Auburn is a very good team. We saw what they did last night, um, but I like playing at home, and so does Tennessee unless it's South Carolina coming to town. <laughs> so we'll hope they can continue it. And we'll continue the SEC talk on the other side as we take a look at the bubble watch in the SEC. Stay right here on Overtime. 
Ever been the coach who realized the team's gear just wasn't up to par? Well, if I'm being honest, that was me. Just a downright irresponsible and plain bad coach. Then, SM Athletics changed the game. I want you to picture this. I walk into their store, a coach with a vision. SM Athletics didn't just see a coach. They saw a team's potential. And they delivered custom uniforms so striking. Our team's spirit soared. From cutting-edge apparel to top-notch equipment, SM Athletics transformed our presence. No more unreliable online orders or envying the other team's style. SM Athletics stands for quality, design, and on-time delivery every time. Coaches, elevate your team with SM Athletics. Call 865. 966-3434 or visit smathletics.com. Get the best for your team. Delivered right and on time. So, elevate your team's game by contacting SM Athletics today. eBay Motors here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it all at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home the win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I was afraid to cut the cord, but once I did, I couldn't believe it took so long to do it. Paying too much for my cable bill had become a bad habit. I either wasn't getting what I wanted or never knew where to find any of my favorite shows until it was too late. Plus, the prices just kept going up. Thankfully, I discovered a new way to watch called Philo. For just $25 a month, I can catch all my favorite shows on networks like BET, MTV, and TLC. It even has Nickelodeon for my kids. I can watch anytime I want, anywhere I want. Plus, Philo lets me have up to three streams at once, so everyone can watch what they want at the same time. Throw in the unlimited DVR that saves all my favorites for up to a year, and this really is the best deal in TV. I just wish I hadn't waited so long. Sound too good to be true? Well, try it out for yourself, and you'll see why people who love TV love Philo. Go to philo.tv, that's P-H-I-L-O.tv and start your seven-day free trial now. I met her down at Althane. She said that she saw me walking in about a mile away. Bean just had to take her phone and I just took her smile away. She said I'm too drunk and crazy. She don't like the way I dance. I said you don't have to join this. She said she'd take a chance. I've been kind of crazy ever since it went down. All right, back here on Overtime on a Thursday night. Thank you so much for joining in. Uh, continuing our SEC basketball conversation, uh, now going away from the Tennessee-Arkansas game to the conference as a whole, so we do a little bubble watch in the SEC. The Southeastern Conference continues to be one of the most talked about and competitive conferences in college basketball with nine teams vying for a shot at the big dance. Let's break down the locks the teams projected to be in, and the teams on the bubble with some work to do. Um, let's begin with the locks. And I think it's uh, Tennessee, Alabama, and Auburn at this point. Um, and I think Tennessee's the most dangerous of the three. Um, I think they're the best defensively out of the group. Um, and when they have the opportunity to play the way they want to, especially in transition, 
Um, we saw it against Alabama when they came here and played. We saw it against Florida. We saw it against Ole Miss. Um, even saw a lot of it last night. When Tennessee gets to play their style of offense, um, I think they're one of the most unbeatable teams in the country. Um, and not to mention, you get a defensive performance like they had last night. Um, that's the most dangerous team in the field. Alabama's got a really good offensive group. I think they lack a little of that uh, defensively. Um, Auburn, um, I think they've got some great size defensively, um, but at times they can get in some ruts offensively. And um, I, I just don't think as a collective group, I don't think they're as good as Tennessee. Uh, who are your locks right now in the SEC, Max? Uh, I would go with the same three. Uh, a lot of people would, you know, question why I don't have South Carolina in there. Um, you know, they got a couple marquee wins, but as we saw last night, the metrics have them low for a reason, and their net ranking now down to 51. That, you know, is in the territory of teams like Drake and Nevada, et cetera, which are on the firmly on the bubble. Yes, yes. Um, they should get to the tournament, but – for me to call someone a lock, it's basically, all right, if they lost every game from here on out, would they still be in the tournament? Yeah. I don't think South Carolina would be. Um, they probably will be in a week or two. But And I agree with you, William. I do think Tennessee is the most dangerous and the best team of those three. I do, you know, there is a part of me that Bruce Pearl, uh, mm. whether Tennessee or Auburn, has found a way to generally get it done in March. Um, you know, he's taken some teams on runs. I mean, when Auburn went to Final Four, they were a five seed. So I do give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt in March. Alabama lacks too much defensively for me to be considered a Final Four caliber team. Um, the one thing I worry about Tennessee, and William, you mentioned how good they are in transition, and I mentioned on Monday, is what happens when they run into a team that wants to slow it down and mm -hmm. keep it in the half court? How do they adapt? And that's something I think that can be improved upon and they can get better at and win that style of game, especially knowing how they've won in previous years. Mm. Between now and the tournament, that's you know we're going to play a team like South Carolina again. You might get a you get a And M again. You might get a Mississippi State in the tournament. Um, so if they can prove to me between now and then that they can win that style of game too, then then I think the the sky's the limit. Yeah, I've I've got the same three locks here: Tennessee, Auburn, and Alabama. And I'm actually gonna go for uh, the most dangerous. I'm gonna put Alabama there just because of what they can do on the offensive side of the ball. Because I mean, when we see them get hot, uh, it, it feels like nobody in the world can stop them. Whenever uh, they're actually putting the ball in the basket, and they love shooting from deep, and they're damn good at shooting from deep too. So uh, now their defense can't really match up too well against most. Uh, I mean, we saw Tennessee just kind of go up and down the floor against them, no problem. Um, but I, I think when it comes to March basketball, it feels like guards win championships in March, uh, and they've got a guy in Mark Sears that can do just that. Uh, so I'm going to have Bama as my most dangerous. I, I think Tennessee's still the best team there, uh, but you know, as for dangerous-wise, it's just the inconsistency that we see from them uh, every couple of weeks. And, and something to note about Auburn. Uh, Auburn only has two Quadrant One wins, mm -hmm. um, a very meh out-of-conference schedule, um, however, they do have 20 wins and sky-high metrics, so I think they're pretty firmly locked in. Now let's talk about a couple of teams that are kind of projected to be in, still have a little bit of work to do. And um, for me, it's South Carolina and Kentucky. Uh, taking a glance at their uh, net and Kempom rankings, uh, South Carolina ranks 45th in the net, 44th in Kempom, a 98 strength of schedule, um, eight strength of record, uh, three and two in quad one win in quad one games. Uh, Kentucky, on the other hand, twenty uh, fourth in the net, twenty five in the Kempom rankings, a seventy four strength of schedule, a forty strength of record, a two and five in quad one games, 
Um, a couple bad losses as of late. Gonzaga was a really tough one to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, nice bounce back against Ole Miss. We'll see what they can do against Auburn. Um, but right now I think these two teams uh, would be um, the guys projected to be in, but not just there yet. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think Kentucky for me would be right around the 6-7 line right now. South Carolina probably a 5 seed now. We will see. On Saturday, the selection committee will release their top 16 seeds as we're a month out from the tournament, um, and that'll kind of be telling on what they think of South Carolina and if they really, you know, quantify those metrics a lot. If that holds a lot of weight, because if they if they're in the top 16 in their eyes, then I think you can move them up to a lock and say, okay, the committee's kind of putting their strength or record above, you know, what the computers are saying about them, but. Like I just mentioned, I think they still have a little bit of ways to go to get into a locked territory. Kentucky, to me, um, same thing, six or seven seed. You mentioned a couple of their bad losses, a loss at home to UNC Wilmington as well. Mm-hmm. They lack those high-quality wins. They did beat North Carolina, which is kind of the feather in their cap right now on their resume. Uh, to me, they just got to be better at home. And I think if they defend home court, I mean, they lost three in a row at home. If they can win the games at Rupp, they have a really good chance to elevate, I think more so than South Carolina personally, to elevate into a top four seed. And to me, any of those, out of all the teams not in the top three in the SEC that we just mentioned, Kentucky to me is by far the biggest threat. I I almost give them a better chance to make the Final Four than Alabama um, Mm -hmm. because they're kind of similar, very elite offensively, lacking on the defensive end. But I trust... Uh, Calipari and their town a little more to if they can just get to top 60 defensively mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. they can beat you know 90 percent of teams in America yeah. uh, I've got Kentucky there also got South Carolina there I might throw Florida in there as well I think they've been sort of on a tear recently they've won six of their last seven uh, all in conference play including a big win uh, last Saturday against uh, Auburn won that one by 16 so uh, they're on the up and up Jimmy Dyke said that n- to not be surprised if they're still going in the uh second weekend of March so uh, I've got them there they've been looking just really solid Uh, the only loss in that stretch was on the road at Texas A&M which Tennessee also fell there but Florida only fell by one they figured some things out and kept it close there Uh, as for South Carolina yeah it's just the the teams that they have played haven't been the best caliber uh, for Kentucky it's just the defense just drags them down so tremendously Uh, but by far the most dangerous there is Kentucky just because of again their offense it's kind of like Alabama it's on any given night you can put up 110 if you're hot uh, but when you're not you're not also going back to Kentucky I think Kentucky's personnel is five far better than South yes. Carolina's yes um, you know you get Dillingham hot you get Reed Shepard hot um, that, that's where you could win a game by 15 points in the tournament like Jordan Hawkins last year for UConn he got mm-hmm. hot that team would, would just carry away with the game They've got guys on the team that can carry a game away. I don't see that so much on South Carolina. I just think they work collectively as a group really well. They've gotten a lot of great wins. I mean, uh, who are we to talk about when when they came in here and stomped on our foot? Um, But um, I think Kentucky has a little bit of – and even though they're young, I like their personnel match with their coach a little bit better. I'd still give them the advantage out of those projected to be in. Um, Now let's talk about on the bubble. Um, Florida A&M. Mississippi State and Ole Miss are my four bubble teams. Uh, taking a look at their net, Kim Palm, strength of schedule, strength of record, and quad one. Um, Florida boasts a net 33 ranking, a 29 Kim Palm ranking, 34 strength of schedule, 23 strength of record. However, two and seven in quad one games, I think that's what's keeping them mm. on the bubble right now. Uh, A&M, 
43 in the net, 43 in Kempom, 27 strength of schedule, 47th strength of record, 5-4 and four in Quad 1 games. Uh, Mississippi State, 34 in the net, 32 in Kempom, 28 strength of schedule, 39 strength of record, 3-6 and six in Quad 1 games. And finally, Ole Miss, 61 in the net, 62 in Kempom, 63 strength of schedule, 19 strength of record, 2-6 and six in Quad 1 games. Uh, those are my four teams on uh, on the bubble. What about you guys? Yeah, same for me as well. There's really nobody else beyond Ole Miss that has a legitimate case. Um, you know, for me, Florida will be, if they keep playing the way they've played, they should be elevated up to the, you know, should be in territory mm-hmm. in my book. But just two quad one wins isn't enough. You know, no. there, there's a myriad out of teams on the bubble. You know, Ole Miss has two quad one wins. The, the thing that's elevating Florida among the computer size, they don't have a bad loss. All their losses coming in quad one. Um, so they're, they're they're proving, okay, they beat the teams that are worse than them. They just got to be a little better against quad one. I think they will be um, if they continue on this trajectory. Beyond that, Texas A&M is a team that I think is a tournament caliber team. You saw what they did to us uh, last Saturday. They took a bad loss at Vanderbilt. Um, but like most teams on the bubble, they have a bad loss or two. And I, I don't think that's going to be too big of a blemish. I, I, I trust Buzz Williams and that team um, with their guard play as well to find its way into the tournament, even though right now it's a little treacherous after last night. Um, and then beyond them, Mississippi State is a team that I, I also you know have on the bubble. They they have a couple bad losses, which they lost to Southern early in the year, which is a mm-hmm. quad four loss, I believe, which is kind of dragging their resume down. But I think if you look at their body of work, it's just as good as A&M's in my book. Um, they've racked up some quality wins. They don't have a ton, haven't done a ton away from home, which is kind of hurting them as well uh, in their resume. Although they ha- do have some solid neutral court victories. And then Ole Miss to me is a team that is kind of the poor man's version of South Carolina, mm. where the record is good. Um, it might be a little inflated. I know Ole Miss played one of the worst non-conference schedules in Power 5 yeah. basketball. They played Detroit Mercy, who last night got their first win yep. of the year. They beat them by one <laughs> yeah. point yeah. back in uh, yeah. November. So, to me, Ole Miss, a little bit of fool's gold. I think Chris Beard is really the only reason they're in this conversation. That team is not, you know, talent-wise, doesn't belong in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, if they can pick up a big win here or there down the stretch, they'll probably find their way in the big dance. But I think they're just kind of, you know – the the record is propping them up because if you look past the eighteen and five or eighteen and six record they have their best win is you know at A and M or or Florida at mm-hmm. in Oxford and those aren't you know marquee victories like no. Mississippi State and A and M have et cetera yeah I've I've, I've also got A and M and Ole Miss down there as well as uh, Mississippi State I I feel like the longest shot there is probably the Bulldogs uh just just because they've been so up and down in the SEC I mean I mean they've they've got two pretty good wins uh with beating Tennessee and Auburn both at home uh but besides that they they've been very iffy uh I mean they they didn't play great against the Vanderbilt team that they played against uh, lost to an Ole Miss team on the road who, again, ha- doesn't really have the body of work of a tournament team so far. Uh, so I, I've, I've really got them pretty far behind. Uh, I do like your point about it being the poor man's South Carolina for Ole Miss. Uh, again, on the body of work side of things, it's just they started off, what, 13-0 this year? Tennessee gave them their first loss, uh, and it, it, it was sort of a spanking at that too. So uh, they finally face a good team, and I think they were ranked at that point too. Uh, and, and then they 
they just got dropped right back out anyway. So uh, I think of all those three, I think A&M has the best chance just because I think their ceiling is higher than anyone's. Like you said, we saw what they did to us. They kind of dismantled us. If they can get more consistent on that end, uh, get shots to fall, not be so inconsistent on the offensive side, I, th- I think they might can move up uh, into that is in, but not a complete lock. So out of these teams, who's the most dangerous? We'll go quickly here. Uh, my team is Florida. As you said, they don't have a bad loss. They've played competitively against a lot of quad one teams, only have those two wins. They need a couple more to put them over the hump. Uh, but Walker Clayton Jr. and Riley Kugel are, are a great backcourt. Um, Kugel coming into the year was a projected NBA guy. Um, struggled in the beginning half of the year. Has really gotten his rhythm going as of late. Uh, Walker Clayton Jr., a transfer from Iona, has been really big for them. Uh, scores in bunches. Um, one of the better guards in the SEC. Um, I think Florida has the, the makings of a team that could – possibly be a second weekend team in the tournament and out of these four I think they've been the most consistent out of the out of the remaining teams um, because some of these teams um, you know drop some bad ones like an A&M did with Vanderbilt um, and, and like an Ole Miss has done a couple times this season mm-hmm. as well getting uh, you know being the breaks off by them yeah. uh, by a couple teams so I, I think Florida is the most dangerous, uh, Jace. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree there just because – or no, I've already done that. I'll go back to saying A&M is probably the most dangerous just once again because uh, of the ceiling that they have, they've got some marquee wins, but they've also got some weird losses tallied down as well uh, just, just because Florida I had in the, uh, I guess, projected ends for myself. But – Otherwise, it would be probably a Florida pick just because of what they've been done as of recent. But as for right now, in, in that, uh, you know, kind of on the bubble scene, uh, Buzz Williams has really got to get these guys scoring at a better clip. Uh, you have these one-off nights with Wade Taylor, uh, but beyond that, you can't just rely on rebounds every, every night. Real quick, Max. Yeah, Mississippi State for me. I just think they boast the most high-quality wins of this group. They've beaten Northwestern and Washington State on neutral courts in the non-conference, which are both tournament teams, probably top nine seeds. And then you mentioned their wins against Auburn, Tennessee. They played Alabama competitive. They played South Carolina close, Florida, et cetera. I think they're a team that they're kind of similar to AM, where they're just a little more offensively away from being a you know legit five, six-seed caliber team. Um, so I got Mississippi State and Chris Jans. Uh, so now let's real quick do our teams with the most to prove. And mine's actually Mississippi State. Um, a trio of quad one wins. You've been Tennessee, Auburn, Washington State, 3-0 and in quad two games. Um, the bad, however, 1-6 on the road. A quad four loss to Southern in a mediocre non-conference schedule as well. Um, now, a couple of those games, they did not have Tolu Smith because he missed the beginning of the year. But I think Mississippi State, with that bad road record and with that uh, quad four loss, have a little bit more to go uh, to get off the bubble. Max, who's yours? Uh, Ole Miss, for me, just because I think it's make or break time for them. Are they really 18-6 and six, or are they the team that we've seen you know, be 500 in league play? And you know they're going to have some more games like they've had recently with Kentucky and South Carolina that they lost against high-quality opponents, quad one caliber teams, and are they going to get those wins and propel themselves into the tournament, or are they a team that, you know, the the 18 wins is a beneficiary of a really bad non-conference schedule? Yeah, Ole Miss for me as well. I, I think they've got two really winnable games coming up uh, back-to-back here with uh, at home against Missouri, on the road against Mississippi State. Uh, then then you get to the, to the nitty-gritty there. You get, uh, you know, 
I just had it up. There we go. South Carolina and Alabama back-to-back at home. Thankfully, the, I think those are ones that you're really going to have to hone in on uh, and take care of business on. Uh, but then to round out the year, it, it's three not great uh, teams in Missouri, Georgia, and the hit-or-miss Texas A&M squad. So uh, I, th- I think the Rebels do still have enough uh, ahead of them to where they can prove themselves, but uh, it's still a big question mark just because of uh, how they've played in SEC play. All right, when we come back, we'll head to the phones and give our best bets of the night. Stay right here on Overtime. Are you ready to flash that dazzling smile? Well, look no further than Knoxville Smiles. Our experienced team is here to give you the care and attention you deserve. From routine checkups and cleanings to advanced cosmetic treatments, we've got you covered. Say goodbye to dental worries and hello to a confident, radiant smile. Don't wait any longer. Schedule your appointment today and unlock the power of your smile. Call 865-539-1776 to schedule your appointment today or just visit KnoxvilleSmiles.com. When it's past high noon, it's time for a vodka soda made with a vodka you've actually heard of. I'm talking White Claw vodka soda made with White Claw premium vodka. J.B. Smooth only drinks vodka soda made with the world's smoothest vodka. And you can too. Pick you up a bottle of the triple wave filtered vodka that's been distilled five times. White Claw premium vodka comes in four flavors. Black cherry, mango, pineapple, and just vodka. You haven't had vodka like this. No one has. White Claw Premium Vodka. Please drink responsibly. The superbly versatile all-electric EQB from Mercedes-Benz, a compact SUV that's full of big surprises. An optional fold-out third row offers luxurious comfort for up to seven occupants. And almost 24 cubic feet of cargo space means... This compact SUV is big enough to handle anything you can throw at it or in it. You can set the tone any way you like with 64 color customizable ambient lighting throughout. And just like every other Mercedes-Benz EV, the EQB features the very latest generation MBUX voice activated tech. So whether you want to set a new destination, change the tunes or tune up the heat, all you have to say is, hey Mercedes. This vehicle's all electric. The feeling's all Mercedes. Test drive the EQB today at your local dealer or learn more at MBUSA.com EQB. That's MBUSA.com EQB. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Is your home's exterior in need of a makeover? If so, it's time to call North Knox Siding and Windows. Transform your home's curb appeal with premium siding options. From classic to modern styles, they've got something to suit every taste. Upgrade to energy-efficient windows that'll keep your home comfortable all year round while saving you money on your energy bills. North Knox Siding and Windows. Get ready to fall in love with your home all over again. Online at northknoxsidingandwindows.com. All right, back here on Overtime. Time for our best bets of the night. One of them already in action for me, uh, and that is Rutgers minus four, a really good defensive team, another uh, team trying to get onto the bubble a little bit outside, facing a Northwestern team that's on the bubble. Um, I really think their defense plays well at home. Um, I'm taking minus four tonight, Max. 
Moorhead State, Little Rock, under 140.5. Go Ooh. into the OVC for this one. Uh, Moorhead State, very good defensively in conference play, giving up less than 64 points a game. Little Rock also giving up less than 70 in conference play. So you combine those two numbers and it doesn't reach 140. Uh, I've, I've got UTM also going to the OVC tonight. My hometown crew, minus 8.5 versus Southern Indiana, a not very good team. They've got two guys uh, in Jordan Sears and Jacob Cruz combining for about 37-38 a night. Uh, and Jordan Sears has just been magical this year for, uh, watching from afar. Uh, and, and they can really take it to uh, the Eagles at home, and the Eagles are sitting at like 7-18. and 18. I think you can take it by more than that at home. All right, my final two bets, uh, Colorado plus two – or excuse me, excuse me, uh, UCLA plus two. Uh, Colorado is one and five in conference on the road. Um, UCLA has been emerging as uh, one of the better teams in Pac-12 basketball as of late, really hot, taking them plus two. My final one is Utah plus two. Facing against USC, uh, Utah had a really tough week last week, took Arizona the distance in three overtimes, wasn't able to get it done, struggled from the three-point line against Arizona State. I look for them to get hot tonight. Those are our best bets of the night. Uh, let's head to the phones real quick. we got Philly on the line. What's up, Philly? What's going on, guys? How are you? All right, first time I heard the show. Sounds pretty good. Got real good a synopsis of basketball instead of uh, chicken biscuits. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> what do y'all think about the uh, AAC uh, conference? Do you think – I know Memphis and uh, Gulf, Florida Gulf Coast are going to get in, but can SMU get in? Yeah, look, the the AAC is an interesting one. Uh, obviously, Florida Atlantic, I think, is a, a team projected to be in. Uh, but I'd right now have Memphis on the bubble – um, I'd have SMU on the bubble. Um, th- their, their strength of, of record is not great. Um, and for a team like Memphis, they've really struggled as of late. Um, Florida Atlantic's been underwhelming as well. Um, I think the, the AAC as a conference right now is in need of, uh, of one team to kind of pull through. And if whether that's Florida Atlantic and Memphis just winning out, I think that's the only way they can get two teams in. Because if they continue to beat up on each other, uh, I, think, yeah. I think they won't be able to get in. So you don't think they'll hit anybody here except for the, the tournament? Uh, what, uh, out of those teams? Yeah. Uh, well, really, I mean, you got Florida Atlantic, you got Memphis, um, SMU. Am I missing any? Uh, South Florida is actually South, first okay. in conference. Yeah, South, South Florida's winning. Right? They're 11-1. Really. They've won um, 10 straight games. I don't. They're not probably an at-large caliber team, but they're a team that could definitely win that conference tournament considering they are in first place. Yeah. Well, the Big Ten, uh, I just missed – they'll find a way to get Tom Izzo. I don't think the Big Ten deserves but four teams to get in the tournament. Yeah, the Big Ten's got um, – let's see. Obviously, they'll have Purdue. I, look, I, I think the Big Ten as a conference is very um, top-heavy. I, I don't really – I'm not a big fan of the, the rest of their conference. Um, I think Purdue – It's hard to live it. Yeah, Purdue, Wisconsin, Illinois, I think you're three locks. Uh, Michigan State, I think, kind of moved – um, to a, a lock this weekend with a big win over Illinois. Um, Northwestern and Nebraska are two teams on the bubble right now for them. Uh, Northwestern in a competition tonight with Rutgers. We'll see what they do there. Uh, but Nebraska plays really well at home, um, but struggles on the road. And the same with Northwestern. So um, I, I, I think right now you can only safely say the Big Ten gets four teams in. Yeah, and I think part of the problem with that conference is, and they've had trouble in March because of it, is a team like Nebraska or Michigan State, some of the teams that aren't in the top 20, is their resume kind of, you know, like I said with Ole Miss, kind of fool's gold because it's like, well, they, you know, they've won 17 games, but they're beating Iowa and Indiana and, and 
you know, Michigan. And is that compared to the teams of like Ole Miss or Mississippi State where they got to win in the SEC and, and they're playing much better quality opponents? So I'm, I'm very curious to see how it plays out in March with some of those mid-tier Big Ten teams. So does the SEC get eight in? Well, I think they get eight. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the conversations we just had uh, in the previous segment. We are kind of talking about, you know, um, Alabama. Yeah, I heard most of it. I'm yeah, just saying that. yeah uh, Alabama, Tennessee, Auburn, uh, South Carolina, Kentucky, I think you can all say uh, will make it. South Carolina, Kentucky is still a little bit more to do. But it really comes down to Florida, A&M, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss and, and what they're able to do. Um, I think Florida and A&M are, are better bets in Mississippi State as well. I think if one team were to be left out, it would be Ole Miss. Yeah, I just think between Ole Miss and Mississippi State, one of those teams is not going to find the wins down the stretch to get in, and I just think you know it'll kind of cannibalize itself and probably only end up with eight, although nine have a case. If you all were betting men, which I know you are, uh, <laughs> who do you think is going to win the regular season SEC championship? Ooh, that's a Ooh. that's an interesting one. Um, I, let's see. Do you have pull up the Do you have the standings pulled up? Yes. Max? So yeah. Alabama, South Carolina, and Auburn are all tied with nine wins. Tennessee with eight wins. Kentucky and Florida with seven. Well, I think you know something we were talking about earlier, Philly, was this opportunity for Tennessee over these next four games: uh, Vanderbilt, Missouri, Texas A&M, and a revenge game at home, and Auburn at home. I think if Tennessee's able to win four in a row right there, um, that puts you right up there at the number one seed most likely. Beating Auburn would give you uh, the advantage. Um, so, I, I mean, right now, I, I'd probably – who would y'all say? I um, would say Auburn. Auburn because I, of their I schedule. They've yeah. got Kentucky at home. Then outside of the road Tennessee game, their toughest game left would be Mississippi State at on the plane. So – you know, even if you give them a loss to Tennessee, they're probably ending up with only four conference losses, while Tennessee has to still play at Alabama, at South Carolina, and Kentucky yeah, again. I, I agree with Auburn. I think they by far have the easiest schedule left of the contenders. Uh, even I, Alabama's schedule is harder than Auburn's? Yeah, they got to go at Kentucky, mm-hmm. Tennessee, at Florida, Florida at home. So they got four tournament caliber games left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Auburn has two, maybe three. Well, I'd rather go to the Final Four than win this SEC regular season because, I mean, oh, me that's too. nice to win. But We've done it before. So Exactly. exactly. What, another banner in TBA for a regular season title. Who cares about that? Yeah. Let's win, let's win something that really matters, you know what? I'm yeah, with you there. I agree. All right, guys. I, I got you on back on the radar now. Well, hey, good I, job. See you. Hey, we appreciate your call, Philly. Thanks for calling in. Um, hope to hear from you again. All right, that's going to wrap up hour number one here on Overtime. We'll see you on the other side. <laughs> 